This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of ACB Advocacy Update. This is your host. I mean, this is your guest, Claire Stanley. She is taking over a blast from the past. Hello, everyone. This is Clark Rockfall, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, and I am joined by my co-hosts. Hey, everyone. It's Swatha Nandakumar, um, ACB's Advocacy and Outreach Specialist. And as you all may have guessed, today's guest is Claire Stanley, a former host and ACB employee. Uh, and Claire is back to talk with us about something near and dear to all of our hearts. But before we get into today's topic, a big thank you to everyone who is downloading and uh, subscribing to the ACB Advocacy Update via your favorite podcast player, as well as everyone listening on ACB Media. A big thank you to ACB of Minnesota for underwriting our podcast. You can always learn more about ACB at www.acb.org. And if you have an advocacy question or concern, you can reach Swatha and me by emailing advocacy at acb.org. So Swatha, what are we talking about here today? So this Sunday is the 35th anniversary of the Air Carrier Access Act. And so we're talking clear today about... Um, that the, the the law and what it does for us. So, hi hey Claire. Hey Claire. Who is Claire Stanley? <laughs> <laughs> Are we speaking like existentially or like no? All of the above. All of the above. <laughs> uh, well, hi everybody. This is Claire Stanley, the former advocacy and outreach specialist at ACB and still a very proud member of the American Council of the Blind. And now I am the one of the public policy analysts with the National Disability Rights Network or NDRN. And Claire, you you wear several other hats as well, in especially in the transportation space and relevant to today's conversation. What are those? I do. Um, I I like my many hats. I rock the many hats. Um, Well, I am also one of the co-chairs of the Transportation Task Force for the Consortium of Citizens with Disabilities, BCD. Um, I am also one of the co-chairs for ACB's transportation. uh, What do we call ourselves? Are we task forces or communities? I, Uh, I don't the ACB Transportation Committee. Committee, thank you. Um, and I've also been a member of the Air Carrier Access Advisory Committee um, that was um, kind of the product of the FAA Reauthorization Act of 2018. Um, and I am a public transportation user myself. So many, many a hat. That is great. Well, thank you for joining us here today, Claire. Uh, for this celebration and conversation. Of course. So, As Swatha noted, uh, this Saturday, October 2nd, is the 35th anniversary of the passage of the Air Carrier Access Act. Um, Claire, why is this act important? 
So I'm going to call it the ACAA because that's less of a mouthful. But the ACAA is a really important landmark um, piece of legislation that allows for persons with disabilities to equally access uh, air airlines and air transportation. Um, as Clark just said, it is 35 years old. And I'm bringing that up because as most of us know, the um, ADA is not that old. So the ACAA actually predates the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, so it was calling for equal access for transportation for people with disabilities even before the ADA was passed. So um, it helps to prevent discrimination for persons with disabilities when they're accessing airlines as many of us do these days. So Claire, um, we know that the ADA predate or the ACA predates the ADA, and um, we know why that why that's so because yeah, or um, why is this necessary? Right? Why don't we just go to the ADA from now on? Yeah, so uh, we have the ADA. So why do we still need the Air Carrier Access Act? For sure. So airlines are not specifically included in the ADA. So airlines is kind of its own beast. Um, the ADA does include transportation under titles two and three, um, but airlines don't fall within that. And airlines are kind of their own interesting beast because it's unlike anything else, right? Um, so the Air Carrier Access Act or the ACAA kind of carves out its own area of coverage to make sure that when you're traveling via air, um, you get the accommodations you need. And I like to kind of think of it as three different components. You've got when you walk up to the ticket counter, you've got um, the process to get to the gate, you've got the process while you're up in there, and then you've got the process when you're deboarding the plane and getting to baggage claim and even the curb um, to jump in a taxi or a Lyft or an Uber. Um, so it, it covers the whole spectrum of air flight. So it, it's different because unlike the ADA, it kind of has its own components that encompass this form of travel that's unlike, you know, other things we might do on a, on a daily basis. Yes, absolutely. So um, what, do, what, are, like, what are airlines required to do under the ADA? Like what do they have to, what, like, what do they, oh. how does the ADA affect um, airlines and airplanes? For sure. Great questions, Latha. Um, so the ACAA has a few different components of um, coverage for persons with disabilities. And I could talk about many different components, but since this is for ACB and we're proud ACB members, I'll talk more about what is covered for persons who are blind or who have low vision. Um, so like I said a moment ago, the ACAA um, prohibits discrimination on the basis of your disability. So because those of us who are blind or have low vision, um, you know, an airline can't say, oh, we don't want to accommodate you. Bye. Um, they can't do that. They have to provide accommodations using a, an ADA term we often use, but they can't discriminate based on our disability. Another component of that is we don't have to notify the airline ahead of time to say, hey, I'm blind and I'm going to take your take a, a flight on your airline. We don't we're not obligated. Now I'll do a quick caveat, um, tipping my hat off to many of the airlines that ACB and others have been able to work with. They do often ask 
that we notify them ahead of time so that they can provide top service um, just because it makes them easy. It makes it a little bit easier for them to plan ahead. So we do, in respect for the airlines, ask that if you can, if it's possible to notify them ahead of time. But legally under the ACAA, we don't have to notify them. You know, heaven forbid something happens in the next 10 minutes and I decide I need to fly somewhere. We don't have to notify them ahead of time to get accommodations. So that's one of our rights under the AD or the ACAA, excuse me, too many A's. Um, we have a right to get assistance. Again, kind of like I talked about those various components of flying, you know, buying your ticket at the gate, getting escorted or get, buying your ticket at the ticket counter, I should, should say, getting escorted to the gate, getting any assistance while you're on the plane, and then deboarding and getting to baggage claim, et cetera. Another right we have under the ACAA is to bring our service dogs. And I'm emphasizing the word service dog because we could talk in a moment if you'd like about some new changes that have happened to the Air Carrier Access Act. But for those of us who are guide dog users, which is a lot of us here at ACB, uh, we can all bring our service dogs and we can't be discriminated. One caveat, though, that we should say is that you can't be discriminated based on where you're sitting. So you can sit anywhere in the plane, forwards or backwards. Well, not backwards, in the front of the plane or the back of the plane. Um, but there is a caveat that says that if you can't fulfill certain aspects of the emergency um, steps, you might not be able to sit in an emergency aisle. So for those of us with disabilities, there is a chance that we would not be able to fulfill those qualifications. So that is one caveat um, under the ACAA. Uh, another thing is staff have to be trained to accommodate those of us who are blind or visually impaired or those with any other disability. So staff under the ACAA have to be trained to accommodate people. And that's really important. And that, that applies to both the staff of the airline itself or contractors that the airlines use to provide accommodations. So for instance, those of us who are blind, we often ask for an assistant to get from the ticket counter to our airline and the whole process, whether it's an employee of that airline themselves or a contracted company, which we see really often, they have to go through training to know how to properly escort us. Another component of the ACAA is that if heaven forbid, I'm sure it never happens, she says sarcastically, but if something ever happens where you don't get the service you need, um, they have to have something called the um, complaint resolution officials, CROs for short, you'll hear that a lot. So under the ACAA, you have to have CROs. And that just means that if again, heaven forbid something happens where we don't get the accommodations we need, we have the right to request a CRO to talk to them, you know, tell them what what happened and find a way to, you know, make make it not happen again. We can resolve the problem, maybe get some kind of uh, resolution happening. Um, so we always have the right to talk to the CRO. Um, so there are many other things. Like I said, there are also a lot of accommodations for persons with physical disabilities or intellectual and developmental disabilities. But that's kind of the coverage for those of us who are part of the blind or low vision community. And Claire, thank you for that overview. You mentioned uh, traveling by air with service dogs. Why the emphasis on dogs versus service animals? That is a great question. So um, dogs now are the only animals allowed um, as service. I always want to say service animals because that's just the jargon we've all used for years and years, right? So it used to be under the air carrier, because again, sorry, I'm going to take a step back. 
The Air Carrier Access Act is not the ADA. So those of us out there who know the ADA backwards and forwards, because we use it in our everyday life, know that under the ADA, um, the only animals that are allowed to accompany you are dogs, or I should say the only animals that are allowed to be service animals are dogs and the rare miniature horse, which <laughs> we can talk about later if you want. And that was the product of the ADA Amendments Act of 2008. But the ACAA looked different. That allowed all kinds of animals to go on planes. And that had a distinction for emotional support animals, as well as other animals that they would allow onto planes. Um, so I'm sure we can all giggle. We've heard stories of the peacocks, etc. Um, so because of that, the uh, Department of Transportation and the FAA did a notice of proposed rulemaking a couple years ago because they had all kinds of different questions going on about what animals can go on, should emotional support animals be allowed on? If it is an emotional support animal, can it be a dog or can it be a peacock, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so many of our fine ACB members, as well as ACB itself, submitted comments to that NPRM, that notice of proposed rulemaking. Um, and a decision finally came out from um, DOT and the FAA. And it now says, that psychiatric animals, um, psychiatric support animals that are, you know, do perform a task, those now are considered the same thing as a service animal. So if it performs a task, it can go on the plane, but an emotional support animal, so an animal that's just there to make you feel better by virtue of being there, that can no longer go on a plane. Um, that's kind of the long and short of it. There's a lot, I think ACB has posted stuff on it. Um, but yeah, that's the long and short of it now. So really the only animals that you're going to see on planes for the most part are dogs because of that. Yes. And many of our ACB members, as well as members of our affiliate guide dog users incorporated have followed closely and provided mm -hmm. comments and replies, uh, to the department of transportation as this rulemaking has progressed. Uh, the final rule on traveling by air with service animals uh, went into effect here this year. I believe it was January 11th. Um, yeah, I believe so. Yep. Claire, this also required a uh, service animal attestation form. Mm -hmm. uh, how has the, how, how's that working out? Um, well, I'm going to take off my hat as an advocate for a second, put on my hat as a guide dog user myself. Um, it's It's been an interesting experience for sure. Um, so like Clark said, now you have to sign an attestation form. The Department of Transportation has developed its own form that all airlines have to use. Now, as a caveat, they all have implemented it in slightly different ways. So when you're flying on different airlines, make sure you do your research because they all enforce it in slightly different ways. But basically, you have to sign this DOT form that says, yes, my dog is, in fact, a service dog. It, you know, I have a disability. It performs tasks for my disability. Um, I think you have to put your vet's name down. You have to say my dog has, in fact, been vaccinated, that kind of thing. Um, so I flew for the first time, you know, because of COVID, I haven't been flying very often. So I flew for the first time um, this past, just this month in September with my dog for the first time since this new policy went into effect. And it's a little, it's a little, um, it makes you a little dizzy because like I said, every airline's different. So you have to figure out what you need to do. 
Some make you fill it out online. Some make you print it out. The regulations say that sometimes you have to do it 48 hours in advance unless it's an emergency flight. Whereas the airline I flew, you didn't have to do it 48 hours in advance. So just make, <clears throat> excuse me, make sure you do your homework because it's, even though it's the same form for all airlines, it's the DOT form. Um, it can be implemented in slightly different ways. So it's, it's, a, it's a learning curve for sure. Claire, it makes me think of the conversation around voting uh, and how we tell mm-hmm. people to plan their vote, have a, a plan in place so that, you know, you know what to expect, whether you're going to vote in person or vote remote, how you can do so accessibly and confidently and independently. Uh, there's already planning that goes into air travel for all passengers, um, how does this form fit into making those travel plans? Like, do you think that this is a deterrent for flying? I know we've heard from a lot of our members, just the, the apprehension and uh, more of like fear of the unknown, right? Like, what is this form going to mean? Are they going to be denied traveling with their service animal? Um, you said make a plan. Do you have any other recommendations to folks who are thinking yeah. about flying with their service animal? Yeah, Clark, I think that's a really good point that I, you know, I can only speak for my own experience, but I know I've heard through the greater blinds to grapevine that some people have been deterred, you know, they, they're too anxious, they find it too, you know, head spinning to figure it out. So I think there's definitely, you know, again, it's not even a year old yet. And COVID has really limited the number of people flying anyway. So I think the numbers aren't quite telling yet. It's more anecdotal, but it'll be interesting to see in a year or two years what what the outcome is. But yes, it's 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 definitely frustrating for a lot of people. You know, I work in this space and you know got to put my two cents into the comments we've submitted. So I consider myself somebody who has more information than the general Joe Schmo because this is the work I do. So for the layperson who doesn't do this on a daily basis, I could see how it could be very um, intimidating. Yeah. And if, if folks out there do have issues with the form from an accessibility and usability standpoint, uh, or if your form for your service animal or guide dog has been denied for whatever reason, Um, You can always file a complaint with the Department of Transportation directly, uh, but ACB also has a direct line of communication to the, oh, I never get their name right, but basically the the Civil Rights Office within the Federal Aviation Administration. Um, The Office of Aviation Consumer Protection, did I get that right? Something like that? Let's, let's go with that. That seems like it's the right, <laughs> right number of words and syllables for a government office. Yeah. So it, if folks do have issues traveling by air with their service animal related to the form or just in general, your treatment at the airport or on the airplane, uh, let us know. Uh, let Swatha and me know by emailing us at advocacy at acb.org. All right, Claire, another group that ACB is involved with and you as a representative of NDRN are, are involved with as well uh, is a cross disability group commonly referred to as the ACAA working group. We're so clever. Yeah. <laughs> I know real creative, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 We're, we're a bunch of groups 
and we're working on the ACAA. Let's call it the ACAA working group. Okay, done. Yeah. Uh, but the working group is currently compiling a survey for individuals with disabilities regarding their air travel experience. Uh, What more can you tell us about this survey? Yeah, of course. Um, So the ACAA working group decided that for the 35th anniversary of the ACAA, um, it would be kind of a, a cool and helpful project to collect data from the greater disability community to kind of get input on what people's lived experience is when they're flying. Um, so me, myself, as well as Lee Page and Heather Ansley from Paralyzed Veterans, we put our heads together and we thought of some basic questions that we thought might be helpful to collect pertinent data on just kind of the user experience of those of us who fly with disabilities. And then we extended that out to other members of the working group to get their two cents on the survey. And so the, the survey kind of evolved that way. We really wanted to get the experience of every single disability community we could um, so that we can collect this data. Because again, a lot of the data that's out there is either anecdotal or there is data from the from DOT and the FAA. But a lot of it that I've learned over the last few years um, through my job at ACB and my job at NDRN working with them is that the data can be kind of, I don't want to use words skewed, that's too strong a word, but it can be misleading sometimes because it is categorized in different groups that uh, DOT has created for their own internal processes, which make total sense because of the work they do, but sometimes the data doesn't reflect what we would like it to show or name it outright the way we would like to name it. And so we thought it would be great to collect our own data so that for the 35th anniversary, we can take all this survey data back to DOT and other entities, airlines themselves, for instance, and say, hey, this is the input we got from the greater disability community on how even after 35 years, of the ACAA being around, we're still still seeing X problems. Or maybe I can be optimistic for a second and say after 35 years, these are the good things we're seeing. But of course, we want to show all sides of the issues. That's right. And ACB will be sharing this survey with our members and friends and community as well. Uh, So if folks are able to share their experience with the ticketing process, Mm-hmm. or receiving assistance at the airport, a sighted guide, are you forced to use a wheelchair, mm-hmm. even though it's your eyes that don't work and your legs work just fine, um, how you and your service animal are treated, whether there are any issues with completing the service animal attestation form, and so on and so on. So yeah, thank you to the, the working group, Paralyzed Veterans of America, as well as Claire and NDRN for taking the lead. Um, and hopefully we get some good data that we can share from this. And that was a really good point, just to emphasize, Clark, you just said kind of all the different um, components or different, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like different segments of travel, right? First you buy your ticket, then you go through TSA, then you get to the gate. So they're all different portions of the travel, and we really tried to emphasize that in the survey because maybe the ticket counter is the ticket um, counter agent is stellar and he or she, you know, does a great job of accommodating you, but then you get to the gate and they forget about you. So point is we really wanted to touch upon all those different components because we want to see if you're getting the proper accommodations the whole way through. Um, So that was a big, a big part of it as well. Or 
maybe you have a, like you said, you have a great uh, ticket counter experience and you're told to go sit in the corner and wait for assistance. And an hour later, you're still sitting there in the corner. Clark, right? that never happens. What are you talking about? <laughs> Who would even think that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Before we move on, Claire, just a a quick question that I know I've been thinking about, and this is not in our outline, so um, Uh spur of the moment. So Uh I pull up to the curb at the airport. Is that covered by the ADA or the ACAA? What law is governing whether or not I get assistance from the curb to the counter? That is a great question. Um, So under the Air Carrier Access Act, they are actually supposed to be accommodating you from the curb, which I know gets a little confusing, right? Because I don't know about you, but I rarely get assistance at the curb. But that's that's beyond the point. But yes, technically under the ACAA, you are supposed to be getting assistance from the curb. However, airports also have to comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act Um, and potentially even the Rehab Act if they're receiving federal dollars, but we won't go there. Um, The ADA also applies. So for instance, if you are a wheelchair user and you get out of your car and there's no uh, wheelchair ramp, a curb cut, if you will, um, the the ADA also pops in. Um, So when when you get out of the car at the curb, you could potentially be, both laws could apply at that point. But yes, you are supposed to get accommodations um, under the ACAA at the curb. So um, it's it's a good thing to know that there could be, you know, um, two laws at at work um, potentially to get accommodations depending on where you are and what you're doing. Thank you for that. I know that's a a common question that we receive Mm -hmm. here at ACB. And... uh, in that same line of thinking or same vein, Claire, wearing all of your many hats, having your own private hat party, uh, whether that <laughs> including your NDRN hat, your ACB transportation co-chair hat, your CCD transportation uh, task force co-chair hat, uh, your ACAA advisory committee hat. Did, it, did I forget any, Claire? Your you know, many, just many your, your common transit user hat. Which, by the way, do any of my hats have um, sparkles or feathers or sequins? Oh, well, we will rely on you to provide the personal description of okay, gotcha. all of your hats. Okay. That, we'll include that as a, an appendix to this podcast. Okay, gotcha. Um, is, are there any other items related to uh, air travel, disability rights, public policy, that you would like to highlight for our audience? Um, I, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun, but I think we should also talk about the fact that we are trying to update and amend the Air Carrier Access Act. It's 35 years old. It's done some great things. It definitely made a huge leap forward back in the mid 80s, but the mid 80s have come and gone and there's still a lot left to be desired. So the disability community is pushing um, an amendment to the uh, ACAA that was introduced in the winter, early spring. I don't know when you officially call the the cutoff. Anyway, uh, it was introduced this year um, and it's been introduced in past Congress as well. So um, there is work to update the ACAA. So that is something that we would love to see um, happen and and push for. Like I said, it was introduced, but then it's just sitting there. Um, So we want to see some actual movement happen on that as well. 
and ACB is a supporter of the ACAA Amendments Act. And that's a great reminder that we should link to that in the description of this podcast. Uh, anything if you guys- to make? Yeah, if people want numbers to look it up, it's Senate Bill 642 and House Bill 1696. So check those out. Yes, anything we can do to make air travel more accessible or provide greater information access um, throughout the travel experience, we are all for it. Uh, what yeah. else you got, Swatha? Yeah, so just like in your, in your many hats, and we kind of touched on this, touched, touched on this early in the podcast, but... Um, just because something is not is accessible, it's not always that way or not always suitable. So, um, what have you noticed? Like, what have you noticed that um, as a traveler and as a policy analyst and as like other your other roles um, that 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 you they think um, is done well and what needs improvement for air, mm. airlines. That's a great question, Slatha. Um, I mean, I think it's easy for all of us to talk about what we see that's not done well, right? It's easy to dwell on the negatives and, you know, we still see a lot of them. But I do think there's been a lot of improvement for flying. You know, I don't fly a ton, but I definitely fly a decent amount, you know, non-COVID years. And so as somebody who's blind, I've seen I've seen some great things done. Um you know, I, I feel like you see better, it's not perfect, um, but you do see training, the, the impact of training for um, airline staff who, who, guide, who help guide people through the airports. One thing I've also seen that I am a huge fan of is some airports are now um, signing on to contracts with IRA services so you can get free IRA access in airports. So if you want to get around yourself, you can, which is, I love it. It's very freeing. I feel like I can, you know, I don't have to wait around. I can go, you know, do whatever I want kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, you definitely see, I feel like airlines are really getting educated now about service animals, probably because they have to be educated about service animals after everything that's going on. But I've personally had a really positive experience bringing my guide dog on planes. So you definitely see some, some good things. Um, the negatives, which again, I don't want to be so pessimistic, but, um, the training is good, but I do feel like the training still has some way to go. Uh, One reason I've heard the training has a lot of, um, uh, the problem with training is that there's such a, um, quick turnover with staff, you know, as we've done advocacy with the airlines, they'll tell us the staff just don't last very long. And so training can be hard because they're there one day and gone the next. Um, so that's definitely one issue we've brainstormed with airlines, how we can improve upon that and keep staff there longer so that those who know what they're doing will be there. Um, working with TSA, I think that's one thing we need to continue to talk about. You have two um, interacting entities where the airline staff, they have to provide the accommodation for you to go through TSA, but then TSA also has to go through training on how to um, accommodate and work with people with with disabilities going through TSA. So suddenly you have these two, I don't want to say conflicting, but intersecting entities trying to work with you and accommodate you while you're going through TSA. So that's forever an interesting component I've seen as a traveler who's blind. Um, And then I think just the story as we all hear of uh, communication where 
the uh, airlines do their do their greatest to provide accommodations, but then there's a breakdown in communication. So they get me to my gate, but then they forget about me. Or I get to my destination, but then they forget about me. And so you constantly have to, I always joke, you have to jump up and down and wave your arms and say, don't forget about me, don't forget about me. Um, so just ongoing communication improvements is necessary. Yes, absolutely. Um, you mentioned how like the gate um, or the staff might, might forget, might forget you or not, um, or mm-hmm. might like just drop you or something. Um, so, and you mentioned this before, but um, how would people that encounter kind of problems or, or like say they've gotten a day for or like um, kind of drop them out of a like something um how they um report report that or how they like absolve issue and make sure that they're not like that again they don't the airlines don't don't do it again yeah that's a great question Safa um you should always report these issues and I'm kind of kicking myself as I say this because you know talk the talk and don't walk the walk um but we should constantly be reporting these because I these issues because I know I've sat in many a meeting with DOT staff Um, through the, what we think is called the Office of Aviation Consumer Protection, but I might be making that up. Um, But they always tell us, you guys need to report these things, because if you don't report them, they don't know. And then they don't have statistics on it. They can't report back to airlines, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I know, again, kicking myself, I often don't report them because you just kind of shrug it off and you're like, well, well, it is what it is. Um, so it really is, is as frustrating as it is. And don't get me wrong. I think it's frustrating that the burden is put on our shoulders. But unfortunately, for the time being, we need to report these things because if we don't report them, the numbers aren't there for DOT to see and the airline, the numbers aren't there for the airlines to see. So we do need to be reporting them. And you can report them, like I just said a second ago, to DOT directly or to the airlines directly. A lot of the airlines have similar Um, disability discrimination report policies, like I talked about for DOT, or frustrating, we don't like to duplicate things, but it would be great to report them both to both entities, if you'd like. Again, I know it's a lot of work. But yeah, you can report to DOT, or the airlines or both. And again, that's just gonna raise the numbers and show the airlines and DOT what's going on. So don't don't forget to do that. Like I said, I know I'm a hypocrite, because I say do it, do it. And then you just are like, oh, it's another thing to do, but it's really important. Yep. Claire, are there any instances that you wish you had reported? Hmm. I think just the instances where, like I think all three of us have laughed about and alluded to, where either I've waited for a very long extended amount of time, or one time I was even full on forgotten about. The ticket agent said, okay, go stand over there and somebody will come and get you. And nobody came and got me. Finally, someone who wasn't supposed to help me said, ma'am, you know, I've noticed you've been standing there for a long time. And I said, yeah, I'm waiting for someone. And she kind of went, oh, I guess we'll all help you. Just total, you know, good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. So I think a few situations like that, I I wish I would have reported. So. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think it's important for the airlines to be made aware of those instances so that they can improve their training. Um, but like you said, it's important for the DOT 
the Department of Transportation to hear about those instances so that they have them in their records as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Claire, thank you so much for joining us here today. Yeah, it's been lovely to be back. I uh, miss the old stomping ground. So thanks for inviting me, you guys. And folks, if you'd like to learn more about the um, Air Carrier Access Act, the ACAA, as we celebrate its 35th anniversary, uh, please reach out to Swatha and me. If you have any questions related to air travel or other advocacy issues, You can always reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. We will include a link to the ACAA Amendments Act in the description of this podcast. And check your inbox because coming to an email near you will be the uh, Airline Accessibility Survey that we will encourage all of our members and friends Uh, to complete and to share with their networks as well. So we'll close this podcast uh, the way that we close all podcasts. And for old time's sake, Claire and Swatha, take it away. Keep advocating. This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. ACBM wants to send along heartfelt greetings to all of its family throughout the ACB community. Having hosted two outstanding and invigorating ACB national conventions, they are committed to expanding opportunity for Americans who are blind and visually impaired. ACBM supports the James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship honoring one of its past members, and they continue to not let life during these challenging times slow down. ACBM invites all to their informative bi-monthly community conference calls, ranging on everything from sports and technology to gardening and loving life in the land of 10,000 lakes. They hold quarterly monthly membership meetings, monthly coffee gatherings, and monthly board meetings. To learn more about ACBM, visit their website at www acbminnesota.org or call 612-223-5543. ACBM, a supporter of the ACB Media Network.